Welcome to Hooked. I'm Rachel, your guide through the perplexing and sometimes deadly world of internet catfishing. Why do people catfish, and how many lies can they tell before they get caught? Stick around to find out in this week's episode of Hooked. Did you guys know that chat rooms were still a thing in 2005? I thought we'd all transferred to forums or instant messaging by then, but our story takes place almost completely in chat rooms from 2005 to 2006. The chat room in question was part of the site Pogo, which was, well, is, an online game site where you can play Scrabble and Bingo and stuff with other users, as well as chat with them. In May 2005, a 17-year-old named Jessie created an account on Pogo under the username TallHotBlonde. She gravitated toward the teen chat rooms, probably to avoid middle-aged creepers. So when a user with the name Marine Sniper told her that he was 46, she asked him what he was doing in a teen room. Marine Sniper told her that, lol, he'd just been joking, he was actually 18. For whatever reason, Jesse let this slide, and they started talking. Marine Sniper revealed that his name was Tommy, and he was a Marine who was waiting to be deployed to Iraq. Jesse told him that she was a senior in high school in West Virginia who loved playing sports. The two hit it off and talked for hours every day. They sent pictures back and forth, and at first, the pictures were innocent. Tommy showed Jesse a photo of him in his fatigues, and Jesse sent him images of her playing softball. She was, as her username suggested, a tall, hot blonde. But things quickly became not so innocent. As far as I know, Tommy didn't send any nudes to Jesse, but she sent him some very suggestive images. Her in a bikini, an upskirt shot, stuff like that. At one point, she asked Tommy for his address and sent him one of her red thongs. And there was a lot of virtual sex going on. Eventually, the day came that Tommy was to ship off to Iraq, and he told Jesse that while he was gone, his dad would have access to his Pogo account. If so if she wanted to send Tommy a message or anything, she could do it that way. And Tommy's dad did talk to Jesse a time or two, but he was trying to convince Jesse to break up with his son. But Jesse refused, and when Tommy returned mere months after he'd deployed, their relationship picked up right where it had left off. Jesse hadn't strayed from Tommy. How could she when he informed her that not only was he a tall and muscly marine, but he had $2.5 million and a 9-inch penis? Things moved even faster than they had before. Jesse sent Tommy one half of a heart necklace that had their names on it. There was even more virtual sex. And after a year of talking, Tommy asked Jesse to marry him. Jesse told him yes, she'd be turning 18 soon and they could elope. Eventually, they took their interactions onto the phone, though online was still their preferred method. They started to plan for Tommy to come visit Jesse. Tommy was especially eager because Jesse had told him that she was a virgin and was saving herself for him. I've never felt this way before, Tommy told Jesse. In early 2006, Jesse received an envelope in the mail. It was from Tommy's address. Inside was a note and a photo, but it wasn't a love note paired with a dirty picture of Tommy. It was a letter from a woman named Cindy. The picture was of a middle-aged couple and two teen girls. Cindy wrote, Jesse, let me introduce you to these people. The man in the center is Tom, my husband since 1989. He is 46 years old. The couple had been married for as long as Jesse had been alive. They had two daughters just a little younger than her. Tommy wasn't a muscular 18-year-old, but a slightly pudgy, balding 46-year-old. Cindy had figured out that something was going on because her husband had been spending so much time on the internet for the last 10 or so months. He'd ignore her for hours. But Cindy had figured out who Jesse was specifically because she had found the thong and the pictures. Picture of a girl young enough to be friends with her own daughters. She'd also found a disturbing note that Tom had written to himself. 
On January 2nd, 2006, Tom Montgomery, 46 years old, ceases to exist and is replaced by an 18-year-old battle-scarred Marine. He is moving to West Virginia to be with the love of his life. Cindy told Jesse, do not trust words on a computer. Let this go. You will only be hurt by a man that has mastered the art of manipulation and lies. Jesse was understandably upset by this. She joined the teen chat room so she wouldn't be taken advantage of by creepy old dudes, and her creeper wasn't just old, he was married, with kids. She cut off contact. But before she forgot about him, she wanted to make sure that Cindy had been telling the truth about Tom Montgomery. Jesse and Tommy had played games on Pogo with a guy who Tom said was his co-worker at a power tools factory. Jesse contacted him to know if she had really been so easily fooled. The co-worker's name was Brian Barrett, who was on Pogo under the name Beefcake. Brian was a 22-year-old, for real, college student whose goal was to be an art teacher. He worked at the factory part-time, and when he wasn't at work or school, he coached Little League and soccer. Brian confirmed that Tommy was actually Tom and was more than happy to let Jesse cry on his virtual shoulder. The two started talking and chatting on the phone more and more, then flirting, and soon Jesse told Brian that she loved him. But they were both so disgusted by Tom's lecherousness that they decided it was up to them to warn the rest of the gaming site. Together, they launched a smear campaign, telling everyone on Pogo that Marine Sniper was a predator, a gross man in the throes of a midlife crisis. They even doxed him. Eventually, Tom was banned from the site. But while Jessie was mean to Tom when she and Brian were online together, she was secretly talking to him like a friend in private messages. Tom explained to her that yes, he was 46 years old, but not all of what he told her was a lie. He had been a Marine for six years, though he'd never seen combat. He wrote, I always wanted to be a combat Marine, and Tommy let me do that. I still feel Tommy in my heart. Jesse told him that, okay, they could still talk and have virtual sex, but only if he seduced her as Tommy. You and only you are my connection to Tommy, Jesse said, and I will love him until I die. So they kept talking. But so did Jesse and Brian. And under the impression that Jesse had cut Tom off, Brian bragged to Tom at work about how close he and Jesse were getting. He taunted Tom that he was going to be the one to pop Jesse's cherry. Gross. In fact, Brian told Tom he and Jesse were planning to meet up, and unlike Jesse and Tom's plan, this one wouldn't fall through. Tom confronted Jesse about this. How could she flirt with him but then meet up with Brian? He wrote to her, You've done what I feared most. You've turned my heart ice cold. So dramatic. Brian, he told Jesse, would pay in blood. Jesse wasn't alarmed by this statement. According to her, Tom would say stuff like this all the time. She continued to flirt with both of them. It was just harmless conversation. She was just having fun. What could go wrong? The meetup between Brian and Jesse was supposed to happen after a business trip Brian had been sent on by his job. The long drive would take him through West Virginia, so it was perfect. But then Jesse canceled at the last minute. Unsurprisingly, Brian didn't tell Tom that the meetup had fallen through, and so Tom was walking around in a fury. Brian, he decided, had to go. And so on September 13th, 2006, Tom drove to the factory where they both worked and found Brian's truck in the parking lot. He flattened Brian's back tire, then sat in his own car, waiting. When Brian walked toward his truck after his shift, Tom waited for him to get into the vehicle, and then he went up to Brian with a gun. Brian tried to drive away, but his flat tire prevented him. Tom shot him three times in the neck with a military-style sniper rifle. Then, he called Jesse and told her that Brian had been easy to take care of. Tragically, Brian's body wasn't found until two days later, when his parents returned home from a trip to find their house empty and Brian's truck gone. 
the police found Brian's body in the factory parking lot. There were no bullet casings left behind, but they believed the victim had been shot at close range with a 38 caliber weapon. What the police did find in the parking lot was a peach pit. Upon interviewing Brian's co-workers, the police learned about the love triangle between Brian, Tom, and Jesse. They were able to get some of Tom's DNA to compare to the saliva they'd found on the peach pit from the parking lot. And what do you know, they matched. Nothing like a fresh peach after a good murder. They also discovered that Tom had made a phone call from the area around the factory just minutes after nearby residents had heard what sounded like gunshots. The police went to the Montgomery home, but no one knew where Tom was. The police asked to see the family computer and found all the conversations between him and Jesse. Considering Tom's level of anger toward Jesse, as well as Brian, at one point Tom called Jesse a lying whore, the police were concerned that Tom was on his way to Jesse's house to kill her too. They got Jesse's address from Cindy and called the local police in West Virginia. The local officers made their way to the home of Jesse Sheeler. Thankfully, Tom was not there, but neither was Jesse. Well, not really. When they knocked on the door, a 40-something woman answered. Her name was Mary Sheeler, and she was Jesse's mother. The police told her that her daughter was in danger and needed to be protected from a possible murder. It was at this point that Mary broke down and told the police that her daughter hadn't been talking to Tom Montgomery online. She had. Mary was a 45-year-old mother of two. She and her husband Tim had a son, Tim Jr., and a daughter, Jessie. Yes, Jessie was real. The girl in the pictures Tom had been sent was Jessie. And there had been a slight hint that tall, hot blonde wasn't the girl who took the pictures that Tom had been sent. While most of us will send our online crushes selfies that were clearly taken by us, or perhaps one taken by a friend, the pictures Mary had sent of Jessie were clearly taken without Jessie's knowledge. She was never looking at the camera, and they were taken from a distance, or from a weird angle that revealed Mary had been sneaking these shots. Even the upskirt picture Tom had been sent was actually a picture up Jessie's skirt, taken by her mother without her consent. And perhaps most disturbingly, Tom wasn't the only one to whom Mary had sent the upskirt picture. She sent it to many men, along with the question, do you like it? This is probably the part of the case that creeps me out the most. Yes, Tom was a middle-aged man who believed he was talking to a teenager, but Mary had begun talking to Tommy with the same belief, and when he asked her for pictures, she could have sent random photos she found online. Tom, for his part, sent Mary old pictures of himself, but Mary chose to exploit her actual child, who was a minor when the two started talking, and send a picture of her then-minor daughter to a random man on the internet. She was very, very lucky to have taken and sent out the upskirt picture of her daughter after she had turned 18. That alone kept her from being persecuted for distributing child porn. The real Jessie, of course, was extremely disturbed that her mother had used her like this. Before this incident, Mary and Jessie had been very close, but soon after finding out the whole story, Jessie moved into the home of a nearby relative so she could continue going to a local college. And get this, Mary didn't even tell Jessie what she'd done. Jessie had to Google it. And what about Mary's husband? Well, Tim quickly divorced Mary and moved out of the house with Tim Jr. Understandably, Jessie was paranoid that her dad had known what Mary was doing, but he assured her he hadn't. Jessie, her dad, and her brother all cut off contact with Mary, though a decade later, Tim Jr. would see her intermittently. When Jessie asked her dad why Mary would do this, Tim said, because if she thinks she can get away with something, she will. Turns out, Mary had a reputation for being a liar. In fact, Mary's mother said that once, when caught in a lie, she saw Mary trying to make herself cry by poking herself in the eye. 
Tom Montgomery refused to admit to the murder for many years after it happened, even when presented with the evidence of the matching DNA and the phone call tracked to the factory parking lot. The police had even managed to figure out which gun Tom had used. In an old picture of Tom and his wife, the police saw a gun cabinet in the background, and in that gun cabinet was a 38 caliber military-style sniper rifle. Tom told the police that he had been home the entire night that Brian was murdered and that his wife would back him up, to which Cindy said fuck that and told the police the truth. She divorced him, of course, though his daughters maintained contacts with him. In an interview, Tom said that he knew that cheating on his wife and having virtual sex with a teenager was wrong, and it made him feel dirty, but he couldn't stop. During his trial, Tom's lawyers wanted to claim insanity, but didn't have enough evidence because Tom wasn't insane. So Tom accepted a plea deal in which he would get 20 years in prison if he pleaded guilty to first-degree manslaughter. Tom tried to kill himself in his cell, but was unsuccessful. And Mary... Mary was never punished, because technically Mary didn't break any laws. There are no laws against misrepresenting yourself online, nor are there laws against exploiting your own adult child. And unfortunately, this has convinced Mary that she's done nothing wrong. According to her now ex-husband, the only thing that would really hammer home to Mary that she'd done something terrible would be for her to serve prison time, but that will never happen. If she had known Tom was going to kill Brian or encouraged him to do so, the story might be different, but she didn't do either of those things. During Tom's trial, when she gave a statement, Mary said that she had only been talking to Tom to keep him from interacting with real teens. What a hero. She also said that she was just having fun. Then she looked her traumatized daughter right in the eye and said, why don't you just get over it? I'm sure you're not shocked to know that even all these years later, Mary has never apologized to anyone. In fact, she had at one point been attempting to take advantage of her notoriety by writing a book about the dangers of the internet. However, since it's been 14 years, I don't think she's going to punish everything, anything. According to Tim Jr., in 2018, he noticed Mary spending an inordinate amount of time online again, and fears that she's fooling yet more people into relationships. And still, according to law, she is well within her rights to. Thanks for checking out Hooked this week. We'll be back next week with a new story. But for right now, you can find me on social media on Twitter at HookedPodcast1, that's the number one at the end, on Instagram at HookedPodcast, and on Facebook at HookedThePodcast. Also, I'd love it if you left me a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you really like what I'm doing, head on over to patreon.com slash hookedthepod where you can get access to early episodes and regularly released bonus episodes. Again, thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next week.